this week, why am I why am I reading scripture today? And I said, well, it's Father's Day, and we're talking about how fathers pass along things to their daughters. And uh, as we're taking our break from uh, our series in Philippians again for this two-part series called Sons and Daughters. Now, not everyone here might be a may not be a biological mother or father, but we're all sons and daughters. What we saw with Jacob when we looked at him on Mother's Day is that godly values are given and received. And today we're going to look at the daughters of, I'm going to have a hard time with this, Zelophehad. We see that godly values are lived. See, for this sermon, it doesn't really matter whether you or I, whether I'm a parent or not. The thing is, what do I say my values are? And what are God's values, and do they align with mine? And if so, do I prove my values by living them out? That's what we're talking about today. You know, I try and teach my daughters the right things to value. I have far more books than I have devices with screens. I probably have more bookshelves than I have devices with screens, whether it's televisions, computers, tablets, and phones. But I asked myself this week, do my daughters see me reading more or at a screen more? You know, our living room is oriented around the TV, not in reading nooks. So I had to ask myself, do I really value by how I live? I was thinking about this this week because godly values are lived out boldly. And if godly values aren't lived out boldly, maybe they're not my value. So that's what we're going to be thinking about when we go into the book of Numbers today. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, today we know you value us. You value people. And Lord, today we pray as we look into your word that we see both the expression of how you value us and how we can value others. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're going to start off in Numbers chapter 27, starting in verse 1. I'm going to start with the genealogy, so bear with me as I try and get through all these names. It says, Then the daughters of Zelophead, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near. These are the names of his daughters. Mana, Noah, Ogla, and Milcah, and Terzah. They stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation, at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. Yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he has and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. You can follow along on the notes in your bulletin or on you version. And our first point is, you see, daughters of courageous character. Daughters of courageous character. We get this long list of male descendants. And then the daughters 
It says the daughters came near. The daughters are approaching the leaders. They're approaching Moses and Eleazar, the high priest. And it also says all the leaders were there. And all the congregation was there. So when they showed up, everybody showed up to see what was going to happen with this. This was a big deal. Everybody was watching. And they did this at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So they were also there before God as well. Can you imagine that we have nothing like this? But what if it said this is bigger than the Supreme Court? This would be like getting together the president, the pope, all the state governors at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And if it was broadcast on TV and and simulcast on the Internet to present a case, everybody is watching and all the most important people are there. And the very idea that they could get this far and present their case tells us something about their father, Zelophehad. He had taught his daughters the covenant, both in knowledge and by living it out. See, if they hadn't known the law, they they would have just lost their inheritance. But they were clued in on how the law was working. And if they hadn't been living out the law of the covenant, they never would have been allowed to approach. They would just said, oh, you, you girls, you're unclean or you're unworthy or whatever. You know, but they had the knowledge of the law and they had been living it out. And so they could get all the way up to the tent of meeting and, sit and present their case. They had the knowledge and the character to back up their values so they could be courageous in the face of all these powerful men. You know, my, I, I told you before about how my junior year of high school, I really committed to not having to uh, reaffirm my faith every year, every summer at summer camp. And that actually started my freshman year of high school, in a sense. My freshman year of high school, I didn't tell anybody I was a Christian because I had such a lousy witness in junior high. And so I needed a year to get courageous. But it's like these these daughters, they're courageous from the start because they have this this character. And the case they present is about their father. They said, our father died in the wilderness. Now, as would the whole generation of that was her father's generation. Everybody except for Joshua and Caleb are going to die in the wilderness. So she said, our father died in the wilderness now, he didn't die as a rebel. God didn't judge him like Korah. He just, he says, he, he just died in his own sin. He's, he's dying as part of the generation that didn't go into the promised land. And he has no sons. He says, but just because he had no sons doesn't mean that our name should just be wiped out. So he says, give his inheritance to us daughters. That's their case. That's a bold case. It's a courageous case. We have a picture up here. This this woman, her name is Jennifer Christie. We're going to show a quick, like, two-minute clip of Jennifer Christie. Christie Brierly, 
Four years ago, I was brutally attacked in a hotel room, beaten, tortured, and raped, my body thrown in a stairwell. I'm not here tonight to represent crime victims. I'm here tonight to represent the 32,000 women a year who become pregnant after rape and the 75% of us who give our children life. I'm part of a global organization called Save the One. Save the One is mothers from rape, children, adult children who are conceived in rape. And it's this people group who I'm talking about, the conceived in rape, who are targeted, it seems, for eradication. This doesn't make sense to me because the Supreme Court has already decided that to, for a rapist to be punished with death is considered cruel and unusual punishment. And yet somehow, somehow we are okay with killing the children who were not even in existence at the time the crime was committed. I'm here tonight to bear witness to the lies that I heard and the lies that I was told that if you just abort, everything will be okay and you'll forget. If you just abort, then you can move on. There's no forgetting. No woman is ever going to forget what happened to her. I've been told so many times that if you just had an abortion, you won't always have this reminder hanging over your head, this reminder. Is my son a reminder? He absolutely is. My son is a reminder every day that as women, we can rise above our circumstances. My son is a reminder that love is always stronger than hate and that who we are as human beings is not determined by how we were conceived. A woman at her most broken needs hope and help and love and people rallying around her. She does not need violence on top of violence, tragedy on top of tragedy. I'm here tonight, one woman, but I speak for most of us when I say, stop calling my son a rapist child. Stop calling him evil seed and child of the devil. He is my son and he has a right to be here. Do not use me and my rape and my story and the story of all of us mothers from rape who love our children as a banner, as a banner to hide behind and excuse the genocide of the innocent. We love our children. The first time I saw my son's heartbeat was on an ultrasound. It's the same heartbeat that beats in his three-year-old body today. He is an exceptional child, but he is not an exception. I beg you to think of this. The heart that beats in my son, the heart that beat in him at four weeks is the heart that beats in him at three, is the heart that will beat in him at 30. It loves and it hurts and it feels just like mine and just like yours. I beg you not to stop it. Thank you. Thank you. Next. That is a courageous woman of character as she stands before most likely a panel of all men. You know, there are people in our society that hate her, that send her videos in her email of very violent stuff to try and trigger her. People have sent, she has, she can, uh, she has uh, epilepsy that could be triggered by flashing lights, so people try and do stuff to her to make her have an epileptic seizure because they don't like what she has to say. But she's courageous. And she has character. And it's shown out by how she lives her values. Godly values are lived out boldly. God would tell Joshua when they entered the land of Joshua 1 9, be strong and courageous. 
as we read through all the prophets, especially like Elijah and Jeremiah as examples, they were sometimes fearful of the kings, but they always spoke with boldness. When Jesus sent out his disciples, they came back excited because they had been bold, and they said even the demons, demons submitted to the name of Jesus. And after the resurrection, when the disciples faced the authorities, they said, we must obey God rather than men. The values were lived out boldly. And today, I still need to have the courage to live out godly values. And right now, I'm not talking about anything political. Taking responsibility for working through my own salvation with the power of the Holy Spirit. Being a follower of Jesus that makes other followers of Jesus. It's one reason why we affirm our membership. To say, we're going to live boldly for Christ and show our values here and outside. Because godly values are lived out boldly. If they're not lived out boldly, then maybe it's not my value. So the daughters have presented their case back in Numbers, starting verse 5. It says, So Moses brought their case before the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophead are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their father's brothers, and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them. Further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest relative in his own family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. These are also daughters of the covenant. It's interesting, Moses doesn't decide this case. They've made it all the way to the Israelite Supreme Court, Moses. They've gone through the various judges of the tribes and of 60s and 100s, and they've made it to Moses, and Moses doesn't decide the case. Moses goes in and talks with God. Because here's the thing. Precedent has been clear up to this point. Inheritance is passed from father to son. God gave the blessing to Abraham. Abraham gave it to Isaac. Isaac gave it to Jacob. Jacob gave it to his 12 sons, and especially Judah. It goes man to man to man to man to man. That's the precedent. But they've made a strong case. So Moses goes to God and says, what about our precedent? And the Lord says to Moses, the daughters are right. Women are covenant people. He says, the daughters are right. They will surely be given an inheritance possession among the men. And he even goes further. He's not just talking about the faraway inheritance, because apparently their immediate inheritance from their father had already been taken away from them. Because he says, give them back their inheritance from their father right now. And then further, 
God gives commands of succession, he's like, he says, you know, just so it's clear, let me give you a whole litany. If a person doesn't have a son or daughters or, or brothers or whatever, you know, just keep it in the family as best you can. You know, sometimes we need to ask questions. This is tough. There was a scientist, and somebody asked him, how, how did he become a scientist? And he said, I just like to ask questions. And that's why I became a scientist. We got one, uh, this man up here, he's Perry Marshall. He's not a scientist. He's actually a, he's a, you know, he's a computer scientist. And he grew up in a Christian home. And he accepted all he was taught. But as he got older, he was having a problem with figuring out creation and evolution. And he says, I got to work this out in my faith. And he was willing to question. He says, I may come through this and not have faith anymore. He says, but I can't just sit here in limbo with with not knowing anything or with with this much uncertainty and so he began to question and he began to study and looking into biology and evolution and he was seeing some stuff that didn't quite sit right with with evolutionary theory that he found out even people in the sciences the biological sciences had some problems with evolutionary theory but his background in computer science helped him as he studied DNA he realized that DNA coding is just like the coding that he uses for networks. And he says, this is a system. He says, and systems have designers. He says, DNA is digital code. And so he uh, wrote this book called Evolution 2.0 and he is he is a founder of of a uh, of a prize, it, and it's I believe it's up to several million dollars. If somebody can make a can produce a biological system that just works on its own, and it has certain properties that it has to have for for something to be a real system, and he has he hasn't just put this out. He has scientists. Christian and non-Christian scientists together on this program, they're saying, you're right. If evolution really works, a system, a, a system has to be made that can not just self-replicate, but self-improve, because that's what DNA does. It's, very, it's, it's interesting stuff. But he took the time to question, just like these daughters. They, they, they knew the tradition, but they said, Something just doesn't seem right with the character of our God that we're just wiped out. So I've got a question. See, just because men and cultures haven't always recognized the equal role and value of women doesn't mean God hasn't. And questioning doesn't automatically put me on the outside of faith. This is going to get tricky. Sometimes the standard or traditional interpretation might not be God's view. 
because human views are often narrow and selfish. And that's what these girls were facing. Ancient Israelites thought God was the God of the Israelites only. That's a narrow and selfish view of God. But God actually meant males and females are invited into covenant relationship with God. Black, white, Latino, Hmong, go, go. God says all those people can be my people. All those people are invited into relationship with God. Boomers, Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z, you're all invited into relationship with God. That's the kind of value that I need to live out. And in order for Moses to understand the case of the daughters, God had to get him out of his own male privilege and into the mindset of these young Israelite women. Because Moses would get his inheritance. Let me ask you a question. Do black lives matter? Do they? Do all lives matter? Yes, both. It takes effort and it takes God for a non-black person in the United States possibly to get out of his or her own mindset and understand why a black person might feel the need to say black lives matter. But we might need to do that because God values people. So I should value people. Let me give you just one thing that I've just heard in the last couple of weeks about how to do this. There is a movie recently out, I think it's on Netflix, called When They See Us. It's about the Central Park Five. It's based on the events of from uh, 1989, a Central Park jogger uh, was uh, assaulted, and there were five suspects, young African-American boys, who were uh, tried and convicted of various charges of rape, assault, and related crimes in 1990. They were all sentenced to maximum terms. Uh, Corey Wise, he was 16, and he was sent to adult prison. But it turned out in 2002, by confession and DNA evidence, that all their convictions were vacated because somebody else had done it. But by the time that their sentence was vacated, they had already served all their sentences. And so I was reading somebody who was writing up about this, this uh, miniseries, and you know they said for some people watching this uh, documentary, it's like watching a docudrama. But this writer says, for black people, it's like watching a horror movie. Sometimes we've got to get out of our own shoes to understand where somebody's coming from. Now, understanding someone doesn't mean we compromise our courage. Francis Chan explained something just this week. He said, in today's culture, the pervasive mentality is that we're all fighting for our rights. 
And these are real things, real pain, real feelings that we feel. He says, I, he says, I love how the church has been so compassionate towards people. This has been a new move in really trying to understand people, hearing where they're coming from. But amidst the push to be inclusive and understanding, one of the most impa- important passages for our generation is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, which says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He goes on, he said, I've read a couple of modern books where people will say, why would God do this? I wouldn't do it. He says, it's coming from this mindset, whether whether you know it or not, you believe your own mind is the ultimate. And what God is saying is, God says, I don't think like you. Francis Chan says, I read the Old Testament and so many times I go, I wouldn't have done that. And God says, there's a reason you wouldn't, because you don't think like I do. Chan warned that in its compassion for people, the church has lost its understanding that, yes, I feel you're hurt, but my biggest concern is that you're not seeing the center of it all and you're not seeing this being who is so far beyond you that you have to answer to. And that's bigger than the hurt that you're currently facing. And his thoughts are so far beyond ours. There needs to be a way in which the church no longer apologizes for the way that God thinks and acts. And what he says is right and wrong. That's the tension. We can question the precedents. We may be wrong. But sometimes... The precedent has been clearly set by God, and we just have to say, but God is right. See, the highest value that we can live is relationship with God. The second highest value that we have is being in relationship, loving relationship with each other. Love God, love our neighbor. That's the whole law. Another quote from uh, Ken Skink. He's the dean of the uh, Department of Ministry at, at IWU. He says, is there ever a point where the love of God and the love of neighbor come into conflict with each other? If so, Scripture never mentions such a time. This is the point of greatest danger where we try to wiggle out of the love of our neighbor in the name of loving God. We're on the safest ground if we assume that the two commands never truly conflict with each other. Indeed, the love of others is actually the primary way in which we demonstrate our love for God. 1 John 4.20 Those who do not love the brother or sister whom they have seen is not able to love the God whom they have not seen. And of course, 1 John has in mind very material assistance it's a tricky line we have to walk to actually really feel what other people feel to to love as god calls us to love but then also understand that god has commands that are clear
and while empathy is so, so, so important for relating to people, our ultimate value is, but we want you to be in a relationship with God. It's why we give baby wipes to first care. It's why we give sippy cups to Tubman. Because we love people. And God values life, and I value life. We value life here, and we also value life eternal. Godly values are lived out boldly. If they're not lived out boldly, they might not be my value. I'm going to jump ahead in time in Scripture to Joshua chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. They are getting, they are in the promised land. It says, however, Zelophead, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, only daughters. These are the names of his daughters. Mahala, Noah, Hagla, Milkiah, Terza, and they came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun and before the leader, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. So according to the command of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Thus there fell ten portions to Manasseh, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is beyond the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the land of Gilead belonged to the rest of the sons of Manasseh. These are also daughters of commitment. We go ahead in time. Moses is dead. Joshua is now the leader. The inheritance of the land is now being apportioned out. And Manasseh is one of the tribes that before they got to the promised land, before they crossed the Jordan, they had taken over some land, and they said, we like this land over here. Can we just have this as our inheritance? And, and they were told yes. But the daughters came near again to Joshua and Eleazar the, and the leaders to remind them of the command that the Lord gave to Moses, that they were daughters of the covenant, and they had inheritance among the land. And so they were given an inheritance actually in the promised land. The men were taking the stuff outside of the promised land. They said, no, we want our inheritance in the promised land. And they were given their inheritance, which was not just for them, but for their descendants. They were committed to it not just for themselves, but for those who came after. Got a picture up here of the U.S. women's soccer team. Women's soccer started in the uh, 1990s, and they were really good. And in 1996 was going to be the first time that women's soccer was in the Olympics. And the women had to boycott. And they almost didn't go to the Olympics. Because even though they were so good, and they were going to win a gold medal at the first Olympics where, where there was going to be women's soccer, they were getting treated so poorly. The men's team had all this money and training and, and nice accommodations. And they said, when we got on an airplane, we'd all laugh because we'd all say, <coughs> there'd be one of two things. 
they were either all crammed in the back in the smoking section or they were in all the middle seats going all the way up. They said if you stood in the back, you could see a red stripe going up the middle because they just got the cheapest seats that were available. It says we were being treated so poorly, we they banded together and they said we're not going to go to the Olympics if you don't actually start treating us like professionals. And and so the committee got themselves together and started treating them like professionals, and they, they've still been winning. And here's here's something that's happened just more recently. Um, even though women's soccer generates so much money, they sell out every stadium they go to and all that kinds of stuff, and they win. Um, now they're banding together again for equal pay because the men's soccer players are getting paid all this money even though they don't win, and the women's soccer team is not getting paid all this money, even though they sell out and win, so they're they're doing it again. They were see, they're banding together not just for themselves, but for the future. They're committed to this for each other and for the future. You know, and as people of God's covenant, the things we stand for and value have to be not just for us, but eternal. It's not that I don't care about temporal things. I do. But the value judgment on temporal is based on the eternal. This is what I mean by that. National borders are not eternal. But people are. Economics are not eternal, but love is. The constitutionality about abortion or about war can change, but life is eternal. Sin just lasts a moment, but judgment is eternal. So I thank God for the sacrifice of sins that through Jesus Christ is also eternal. Hebrews 10.10 It was God's will for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Godly values have to be lived out boldly. If they're not lived out boldly, then it might not be my value. God values people. Patrick Henry, one of our United States founding fathers, he's the one who's quoted as saying, give me liberty or give me death. Let me read you one other thing that he said near the end of his life. I have now deposed of all my property to my family. There is one thing more I wish I could give them And that is my faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that, and I had not given them a single shilling, they would have been rich. And if they had not that, and I had given them all the world, they would be poor indeed. The man who valued liberty so highly that he was willing to die for it, valued Jesus Christ 
sacrifice to him more. Let's pray. Oh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. When I consider that you made all that is in heaven and on earth, what is a person that you should value me and desire to crown me with majesty? Lord, you value us enough to have sent your one and only son. You value us enough to fill us with your Holy Spirit to enable us to live for you. Today we ask for the courage, the character to be people of your covenant. Caring not just about ourselves, but for the people that you care for. Today as we end our baby supply drive, Lord, we pray for every life that will be touched through the gift of first care, through the gift of covenant. They need these things. But most importantly, Lord, they need you. So we pray that each one of those cups, each one of those baby wipes will be a seed planted to say, The church values you, and God values you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.